Thanks for joining us for our high five, and I can't wait to celebrate with you next time. Yeah. I want to also high five the band. Uh, great job leading us in worship day. Let's give God glory for all of that. Amen. I love seeing you, the church, investing in the kingdom of God. Uh, you can see us growing out, growing deep, and growing young through good works and, and his word. That raises the question for today from Quest 52. It's, it's this. What makes a person good? There there's, could be a lot of different opinions on that, what makes a person good. One year ago this week, Christian Post, it's a magazine, shared the results of the idea of this idea, if we're good enough to go to heaven. They asked senior pastors around the country if, if, it's, if we could be good enough to make it our way to heaven. And to my surprise, 37% of pastors in America said that being a good person can get you into heaven. Hey, Ben, I don't know, we're, we're rolling again. I don't know what, what's going on, but they'll, they'll work that out. Uh, I think here, here's what's going on. There we go. That's better. Thank you. Uh, it, the reality is that you need to hear this. While that may sound good that you can be a good enough person to go to heaven, the reality is it's a lie that Satan wants us to believe that you can get your ducks in a row enough to be a good enough person that you can earn your way to heaven. Human beings being good enough to go to heaven is a lie straight from hell. And we need to hear from God's word again today. And this is really good news. So whether you're trying to get there, you never think you can, or you think you've arrived here, here's the reality. Here's the good news from Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things. We have done. So no one of us can boast about it. Here, here's the reality. Salvation, the word of God makes it clear, is not a reward for being good. It is a gift. The only way that we can be saved is by the saving power of Jesus through his work on the cross. That is the good news. So, so whether you almost thought you were there or, or you thought you would never be there, here's the blessing. We are saved by grace through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Think about it this way. The cross of Jesus is the source of hope. His resurrection is the power that changes everything. I wonder if you've ever thought about that way. We know the cross is an essential part of that, but the resurrection is our source where we know we have victory over both sin and death. We can't earn forgiveness. It's a gift we must receive. So usually this happens at the end of service, but I want to do it right now. Have you received the gift of grace? Have you? Or are you still uh, thinking about, maybe if I could just do this, if I could uh, just get to this point in my life, maybe then I would be good enough. That is never going to happen. But just today, in a moment, right now, you can say, God, I receive what you have done through Christ, and I accept Jesus as my Savior, and you can begin to have new life. That's my story. It really is. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know this is my story. If you're brand new, you're going to learn it quickly. I was lost in my sin. I was dead in sin. It was, it was in my early years of life, I, I, I'd realized that I was a sinner and that I was not going to be able to be good enough to save myself. No matter how good grandma thought I was, I was dead in my sin. But then I realized as a, a young man that I could be made alive in Christ. And this is my story, the, real, the realization that I accepted the gift of grace through Jesus. What's your story? 
This past week, we reminded ourselves we need to know our story, that we're saved by grace. We need to be living a godly story, and we need to all share that story. That's what today's uh, message is about today. It's about living hope. I don't always tell you what the title of the sermon is, uh, but today it's a living hope. It's not just about knowing it. It's about living it, being a good person. Not because that saves us, but because it points to God. It gives him glory. The reality is doing good helps us unleash hope to the world. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, let your light, let your good deeds shine so that people will will know that the, the Father deserves glory. And here's what happens. There's a point when we do good things for others, when we serve them, what we just highlighted, people say, Hey, why do you do that? Where, where's the hope that you have? And then we say, well, it's, it's Christ living in me. Have you noticed, though, if we're not careful, that religious people, uh, churchy people, whatever you want to call it, uh, people often that think their stuff don't stink, however you want to say it, they often focus more on what not to do and what's wrong than doing good. It's religious mess. Jesus hates it. So much time, if we're not careful, we can, we can point fingers and say, that's bad, and we never do good. Hey, I'm old enough, some of you may not be, but I'm old enough to know that I grew up in a church in southern Indiana, and it was this wild concept. It was often a great concern or questionable if you were a good Christian and you were caught playing cards, uh, maybe if you were caught dancing or, you know, uh, or shooting pool, you know, there were just, oh, are, are you really a good Christian? Is that what makes you good? I can remember my uh, pastor growing up. I had a brother. He'd come up to us and he'd say, Now, boys, make sure you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. You know, if you really think about it, it's still good advice, dental hygiene and everything. You know, it's, it's just. But according to God's word, according to Jesus, are those the key indicators that you're a good person, whether you do or don't do those things? It may be surprising to some of you that Jesus says it's totally different than what we put in our mouths. What makes us a good person? Let's go to God's Word today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders who thought they had all their ducks in a row. Uh, they were called Pharisees. It literally uh, meant it was a title that said, hey, we have really uh, worked to make sure our lives are righteous, are, are pure. And in and of itself, that's, that's a great concept. But the reality is they were doing it for the wrong reasons. These were guys that said, hey, our ducks are in a row. Uh, they were some of the first uh, really professional virtue signalers of the, of the, the era. Uh, virtue signaling is becoming a, a buzzword again, but it's really saying, hey, look at this thing that I'm tagging to show that I'm holy, I'm righteous. These guys did it all the time. And it's repelling to Jesus. So he begins to address them here in Mark chapter 7. Look, look with me to the words of Jesus. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. It simply means they were unwashed. They hadn't washed their hands before they ate. That's what these guys were nervous about. The Pharisees and all the Jews uh, did not eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. 
These guys that had it all figured out made sure they washed their hands this way and that way with just the right amount of water in just the right amount of time, often uh, showing so everyone would see that they were doing all the things right. But notice this, it was a tradition. It was a tradition of the elders. It wasn't the Word of God. Now, it may sound a little strange and a bit gross that Jesus' followers had not washed their hands because we all know hand washing is important. Didn't we learn that last couple years? Hand washing is important. I learned that whenever I was two. I was like, you know, we went through that time in our life when everybody was focused on washing hands. My grandma and mom said it every day. It wasn't anything new to me, you know, wash your hands. How many of you parents or grandparents ever remember, you know, your children or grandchildren or child sitting down at the table and this is the way it goes? Did you wash your hands? And they're like, yeah, I've washed my hands. And they're like, no, I, you know, you, you have it. How many of you ever remember that moment? Did you wash your hands and they had to go back to the bathroom? My boys would um, come to the supper table and I'd like, boys, you wash your hands. Like, oh, yeah, we washed your hands. Guys, there was mud and crud in between their fingers, their fingernails. Like, go take a bath, you know, before you eat. These same parents, if you're like myself or maybe a grandparent, we will get all concerned. Hey, did you wash your hands before supper at home? And we'll take these kids and we'll take them to St. Louis and go throughout Bush Stadium, get in our seats, and then go to the bathroom and then go to the concession stand and buy one of those huge like helmets, Cardinals helmets, full of nachos and cheese. And, and then we'll share it with fingers and no one washed anything. It's weird how there's a double standard, right? That's what these guys were doing. There's a double standard in the text about when you had to and when you didn't have to wash your hands. One of my favorite meals every fall is in the harvest field. What's interesting about that, while I am a hand washer for sure, Tiffany says I'm a germaphobe, uh, but I can be in the field working with friends or family harvesting and just maybe uh, putting a new uh, a belt on a, a piece of equipment that maybe broke down or changing this or that, and I'll be covered head to toe with grease and dirt and soybean dust, and I'll dive into that supper without one utensil, and it is the best meal ever. I don't know if you've ever been there. Here, here's the reality. There's often a double standard of when we want to be clean and when we don't. But these guys are like, when we're in public, you wash your hands. And, and they get on Jesus because his people didn't wash their hands. Why? They're like, it's a tradition. You need to do it. A tradition of the elders. Here's the reality. These traditions were put in place in this time of culture to come alongside the, the commandments that God gave the people. These traditions were to help people focus on God, to keep them in a holy relationship. Here's the problem, though. They made their life more about the tradition than they did God's word. And Jesus like, wrong. These guys were, were judging others and what they did, not by their heart, but by their outward appearance. Mark goes on to explain what these religious, were do, these religious leaders were doing out of tradition. Look what it says in verse 4. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. They wash their pots and pans for everybody to see. And I can almost envision them. I think I probably heard a professor tell me this once. But they would go in public, and they would wash their hands for everybody to see. And then they would get their pots and pans and clang them together. Uh, the louder they were, the more holy they were, because we're working hard to be clean. They made a mess of things because they were showing off. And it wasn't actually about cleanliness at all. You know what it was about? Uh, they were trying to prove a point that if they had encountered someone who wasn't holy, who wasn't a God follower, who wasn't Jewish, 
If they had encountered them, they needed to wash anything that ever touched that person before they went into a holy ceremony or, or they may be transferred to sin from that person. That was a lie too. There, there was nothing to that. They were trying to point fingers who was bad and good and they were trying to show everyone else we're making sure we're clean. Look what the Pharisees say in verse 7. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Instead, they are eating food with defiled hands. They're basically saying, hey, Jesus, your followers are dirty people. Jesus, your followers aren't clean like us. They're bad. Look what Jesus tells them. Jesus replied. He doesn't going to play that game. Watch this. Jesus, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when the, he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. I want to pause right here for a second. He goes, you guys are smooth talking. You have all these traditions. You, you know what you're doing. You think you are knowing what you're saying. You're, you're talking and you're running your mouth, but I'm going to right now speak the word of God. He goes, this is what is written about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. How sad is that? These people honor me with what they say, but their hearts are far from me. You point out all these things that other people aren't doing just perfect, and your heart is, is bankrupt. You're all messed up. Look what he says in verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and holding to human tradition. That's what hypocrites are. They, they know God's word, but they don't let it win. They do what they want. He goes, you're broken. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrased version of the Bible, which is an excellent uh, devotional tool. He, he says this about verse 8. You ditch God's commands and take up the latest fads. Let's not do that. Let's be very careful that we let the word win, no matter what the word says, no matter what we want to do, no matter what the world says is cool. But how often do, do we avoid what God's word says to do what we want? Look how Jesus answered this in verse 9. Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And he, he's, he's getting excited here. exclamation point. He goes, you have a real fine way of doing what you want. And you say you're the one that's holy. And he goes on to, to tell them why they're hypocrites. Look what it says. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother will be put to death. Here's what he does here. In this, this verse, he says, you are disregarding the commandment number five, honor your father and mother. And based on if you dishonor the commandments, you deserve to die. Jesus says that. They're like, well, how are we doing that? He goes on to tell them. But you say... That if anyone declares that they, have, they might have been able to use or help their father or mother is Corbin. So he says, you have said, even though I, uh, the word of God says honor your father and mother, he says, if you have made something Corbin, and what that means literally is, if you've devoted something to God, then sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you. Here's what was going on here. They would set up these Pharisees almost like a trust for God. God, we're giving you everything. When I die, it's all yours. It's in a trust for you, God. You're the only one to have it. But until I die, I can use it however I want. So then when mom and dad would come and say, uh, we need money or we need a place to live, they would say, oh, sorry, mom and dad, it's been given to God. And Jesus says, it's terrible. Look, he says, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God. He says, you, you, you dis, dis, disregard it. 
by your tradition that has been handed down. And you do it with many things like that. They found this loophole to do what they want. She says, you, you missed the point. It, it's, it's terrible. Look what it says then in verse 14. Again, she has called to the crowd to, to him and said, notice this, all of a sudden, just the crowd there, the Pharisees, I think, faded away. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but I can see the, the Pharisees like, hey, Jesus is upset, we're leaving here. So he calls the crowd to him and says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by, by what's going in them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. This is a brand new idea. These Pharisees are all concerned about washing their pots and pans, making sure nothing comes inside their mouth that would hurt them. And Jesus says, it's not what goes in our mouths that hurts us. It's what comes out of our lives with actions from the heart. This is a whole new concept. These people had been confused about all these rules and regulations when Jesus says, it's about what's on the inside that matters. Because that's what comes out. So now the Pharisees left. The crowd has now de departed. Look what it says next in the text. After that, he had left the crowd and entered the house. His disciples asked him about the parable. So the disciples are like, okay, you told the Pharisees that we don't have to wash hands all the time. And then you told the people that it's not what matters come in the house. They're like, we don't understand this. Tell us what you're talking about. Look what Jesus says. Are you so dull? <laughs> he says, why don't you get this? What, what, why, aren't you, why are you missing the point? And then he goes on to give them this basic biological lesson. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? He goes, you, you really aren't a bad person by what hits you from the outside. Don't you see that nothing from the outside can defile them? For it does not go into the heart, but into the stomach and then out of the body. Mark says, in this, he was saying, Jesus declaring all foods are clean. This is, a, this is a breakthrough moment. Jesus is saying, we don't have to carry so much about what's kosher, not kosher. If it's a pig or, a, a, or from a, a beef or if it's from a lamb, he goes, we can consume whatever uh, is put before us. What God has made is good. It's what comes out of the heart that matters. He gives them some lesson. They were so worried about what comes in the mouth. He goes, what comes in the mouth goes in the stomach and then comes out out of you. It's a very tame translation. Jesus was probably a lot more explicit about saying, don't worry about all this. Don't try to be kosher. That doesn't what makes you a good person. He goes on to explain this, and it gets to the point. He went on, what comes out of the person is what defiles them. I wonder what comes out of you. Look, look what he says comes out of us that defiles us. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from the inside and defile a person. Like, I don't even know what all this is. What lewdness is a, a vulgar sexual behavior that, that's just like, just like evil. It's all these things, as simple as even theft or, or a, a deceit, doing something that you're not supposed to do or, or mistreating some people. And he says, these are the things that defile us. Who we are, what we do, starts in the heart. 
Our world has tried to tell us over time, and I've lived this myself, that sometimes um, what you do based on temptation and where you're put in the world, it's just instinct. There's going to be times that you just take something that's not yours because you need it, and it's okay. Or, or maybe you have a, a sexual uh, uh, mess up and, and you commit some type of sexual sin just because of instinct. You couldn't help yourself. Jesus is saying, time out here. We are not animals. We're not doing things by instinct. Really what flows out of us and what we do comes from the heart. So while we're all saved by grace, he says we're all controlled by our heart. So if your heart is bad, your actions are going to be bad. But if your heart is good, you're going to be living a godly life. If you want to be a good person today, stop trying to figure out all on your own, but first say, God, change my heart from the inside out. God is the only one that can change us what's wrong inside and help us do what's right on the outside. He's the only one. I've seen a lot of noble, strong people live for 20 uh, years, a lifetime, be like, I just never was able to figure out to do the things I wanted to do and not do the things I didn't want to do. Jesus here is saying, you got to be changed from the inside. Christ's message is to not simply be good but, and to stay out of trouble. His message is to be changed. Tiffany and I are really working on this, not just telling the boys to be good. You've heard me say this before. It doesn't do a lot for a teenager, an adult, an elder, a, a, an elderly person to always just say, be good, be good, be good. We're going to lose that battle with the world. But when we say, God, change me, we have hope to live like Jesus. I need you to hear this. I can't be good on my own. I'm going to fail you and my family often. But with the changed heart, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I can bring glory to God. Following Jesus doesn't start by stopping to do what's bad. It starts by making Jesus king of our heart. I wonder if he's king of yours. Have you, have you evaluated who's really in charge of your heart? Have you been protecting it? Listen to what Solomon says in the Old Testament. It's a lot like the words of Jesus here. He says, above all, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it, whether good or bad, it flows from our heart. So guard your heart. It's the source of our actions. It's the source of everything. So I'm going to give you some real practical applications as we close here today to help you guard your heart so that you can live a holy life, so you can share your hope. First, guard your heart by carefully being careful what, what your ears hear. Guard your heart by being careful what you listen to, what, what you're taking in. Be careful uh, what you're uh, consuming because it's a pathway to your heart. That's why Solomon says this, My child, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to the one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do and flow comes from it. Solomon says, be careful what you're listening to. I don't know how many of you remember the, the little song that my grandma first taught me. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. How many of you have ever heard that? And you hope you never hear your pastor sing it again, right? There's this reality, this truth that we need to be careful what we're taking in, what we're hearing. Our, our ears are a pathway to our heart. It, it matters. I can remember as a, a middle schooler, sixth grade, I think, 
My mom found one of my first cassettes. You know, remember the days whenever this date shift, you remember this? Not only a cassette, but we had the cassette players that you could put one cassette here and then hit dub and it would copy the cassette to the other cassette. So one of my friends got the new ACDC uh, cassette album and his friend copied it. His friend gave me a copy of the copy and then I copied that and my mom found it. And my mom set me down and we listened to that cassette together and we evaluated the words. That was one of the most miserable afternoons of my life. I said, Mom, but I don't listen to the words. I just like the music. And I have to admit to you, I still like to rock it out to a little bit of ACDC. The, the, the music is inspiring. It's, it's energizing. It's... But the words, I, I can't lie to you. The words, if I'm not careful, can affect my heart negatively today. And I'm thankful that there are certain ACDC songs when they come even on the radio. 106.5, that's the station I listen to if I'm not listening to WGEL or uh, Shine. 106.5, I like that classic rock, that music I grew up with. There are songs that make me sick to think about the words now, and I, I can't listen to them, and I thank God for that. The messages uh, are hard on our hearts. Be very careful what you're listening to. You're like, well... I can listen to, to all kinds of things. It doesn't really affect me. I, I can listen to my friend's gossip. No, it affects how you see those people. Be very careful if you're listening to gossip. Uh, I can listen to coarse jokes and, and, and bad language. It doesn't really affect me. Well, in, in, in time, you become numb to it. Just this week, you know, one of my boys, we were hanging out uh, late at night before we went to bed. That's kind of when we're all together anymore. And one of the boys said, hey, come and listen to this. One of his friends sent him some social media reel. I'm not exactly sure even what it was. And he pushed play, and we're kind of four or five of us together around. And it was beep, 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 except the beeps weren't there. And Tiffany reached over and shut it off quicker than I could even know what was going on. And, and Deacon's like, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. Here's the problem. I'm afraid whether you're 18 or 28 or my age or well, we're hearing so much junk. We don't know it's that bad, and it is. It's affecting our hearts. I wonder how many uh, videos you watch on YouTube or reels on social media, Snapchat or whatever, that, that are full of garbage. If, if you really are open to what we're listening to, the world around us is a wasteland of, of, of verbal excrement. The S word, the F word. And we're like, it's not affecting my heart, it is. But what really I'm concerned about today as your pastor, because it's a direct spiritual relationship, how often does what we watch, what we listen to, what our friends say, that we have just consuming in in our hearts and our minds that take the God's name in vain? It's GD this and Jesus Christ that. And the, the dilemma of that, well, why is that so bad? What it's doing at the core is you're taking God's name in vain, something that should be lifted up like we did in worship and in prayer and in meditation and God's word, and we're using it for our own foul language, and it's, it's minimizing completely a name that should be valued, and we're tearing it down, and our hearts don't even care. So I would ask you to be very aware today and moving forward if those words are being abused around you. And say, God, give me a heart to the, that cares for that. I, I want to lift up your name. Be very careful of the words you hear because you're a child of God. Be very careful of the words you use because it's a gateway to your heart. Also, uh, guard your heart by being careful what your eyes see. goes right to the heart. Listen to what Jesus says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
He goes, if, if what's in you is dark, it's, it's really dark because the Holy Spirit was put in there and it's to be a light, but now your, your eyes have let darkness in and it's dark. Uh, one of the, the quickest ways for your heart to be hardened is to see things you shouldn't see, uh, to acknowledge things that, that should be turned away from. Jesus is saying right here, there's some things that you see that are just burned into your heart and your mind and it's hard to get rid of. Be very careful what you're looking at. Now, sometimes you're going to see things you wish you wouldn't have seen that weren't your choice, and your heart's going to be hurt. But how sad is it that we can continually look at things that are hurting us, pretending like it doesn't hurt? Some of you are thinking, well, I can look as long as I don't touch. How many of you ever heard that before? I'll, I'll look as long as I don't touch. And there's, some of you have said it. Be very careful what you're looking at. Jesus says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. You know, some people say, well, I'm not going to touch her. I'm not going to have sex with her. Jesus says, don't even look at her lustfully because it affects your heart. I know I'm about out of time, but the reality is we got to get to this. I wonder how many hours each week, each day, accumulatively are spent in our church family right now looking at pornography and we pretend like it doesn't affect our hearts. It's not just men. It's not just women, it's young boys and girls, it's, it's people of all ages. We have an epidemic in our nation where pornography is, is one of the biggest uh, media uh, things that, that has ever been dreamed of, and we're acting like it doesn't hurt us. Guys, it's killing our hearts. It's killing families, it's killing our minds, it's taking us away from God. Guard your hearts, pay attention to what you're looking at. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you a, a soft heart, a heart that will become sick when you see certain things. Finally, guard your heart by being careful what your mind thinks of. Look what it says in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is a balance. Paul's saying, make sure you don't think about junk, about sin, about hatred, about evil, uh, uh, about fear. Make sure you're thinking about these things. Think about these things. A good friend of mine this week was uh, really hurt. And he started thinking a certain way. And I could hear it in his talk. He was hurt by someone he trusted, someone he loved. And he, was, he felt beat up. He felt abused. He felt betrayed. And a couple different times, he, he said these words, man, I'm just destroyed. I, I think I'm destroyed. He, and he, he, just, he communicated in about one minute, three different ways, uh, I'm destroyed. And I said, hey, uh, I just got done reading this passage, and I want you to claim your thoughts. You have not been destroyed. Jesus Christ is your Lord. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and you will not be destroyed by this. You are not destroyed by this because Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit is greater than anything this world will throw at you. You are not destroyed. Be confident that you are alive in Christ. And I shared this passage from 2 Corinthians 4. Yeah, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The world will tell us over and over again that you can't overcome this. We hear it, we see it, we feel it, we begin to think it, and we are that. But the Word of God says make sure you have a mindset that's changed, that's focused on Him through the changing of your heart. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul says, and he's speaking to you, may He strengthen your hearts 
so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in his holy one, with his holy ones. He says, make sure you're living a godly life. Make sure you're living the hope we have. He says this in Ephesians 3, I pray that because of the richness of his shining greatness, that he will make you strong with power in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. There is no mistake. We cannot change our hearts on our own. It is Christ living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are continually changed. If today you're like, man, I can't get my ducks in a row. Uh, My stuff does stink. It is okay, but Christ will change you from the inside out. We need to unleash the hope of Christ by living a life that has been Holy Spirit sanctified, not merely humanly sanitized. Now, that's a mouthful for me. But think about this. Sometimes we try to clean ourselves up. We're like those religious leaders. We wash this way. We wash this way. We wash these pots and pans. We put on this shirt to go to church. We, we smile. Everything's fine. And we try to sanitize our life where we look good. And our hearts are broken. We need to get the point today, and it is open for everyone, that the Holy Spirit can change you through the power of the Holy Spirit and really sanctify you. That means make you pure. you got to cry out to him. It's not enough just to be sanitized and look good. You've got to be changed from the inside out. How has he changed you? What's your story? As the baseline, all of us are changed. If you're a believer of Christ, you were dead in sin and, and, and you were hurting, and now you're made alive in Christ. But I wonder how else he's changed you. What's your story? There's a point where he changes you from the inside out. How has he changed your heart? Maybe he's taken away vulgar language. Maybe he's taken away uh, a temptation to think everyone's a sexual object. Maybe he's taken away uh, the temptation to think everything's about money or, or you're always worried. If he's changed you, we need to share that story. Alice Cooper has a story. Anybody know Alice Cooper? If you're over 30, you might have a chance to know Alice Cooper. Here's a picture of him. Scary dude. I never had one of these albums. I even knew don't bring a snake-wearing guy to home to, to you know, let mom see. But he did have some pretty cool songs in the 70s and 80s. He, he was a sensational, uh, almost satanic artist that, that his songs were kind of wrapped up in evil. You know, no pun intended. He, he literally uh, embraced evil. There were concerts where he would bite the heads off of chickens, and, and people would say, well, is he sacrificed to Satan? And he just kind of did it for a mess, but he enjoyed the mess. One of the famous songs that he sang that I know, it, it just conveyed that he wasn't a good guy. He says, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. You ever heard that song? I won't sing any more of it, okay? But he made a living off of being the bad guy. Playing and flirting with evil all the time. Very popular, made a lot of money. This week on social media, I was watching a reel, and there were no cuss words, and I'm thankful for that. And he tells a story about Christ. Watch this. enough yeah you know most written about character of all time yes. in history right and yet people go out of their way to not believe in him why do you think that is i think it's because they don't want to give up their godship yeah you know uh they want to be i, I can I, 
I, I'm a good enough, they believe the Hollywood version of, oh, I do more good than bad, yeah. that kind of thing. And I go, boy, is that, right. Satan's got you right where he wants you. Yeah. you know, to believe that, yeah. to be good, I don't want the truth of the light, no way comes the Father, but by me. This guy went for years flirting with evil, making money, promoting evil, and now he's speaking in the truth about eternal life only through Jesus. Talk about a changed story. Well, let's praise God for that. That's, that's, that's awesome. You know, it, if he would have a cardboard testimony as this, he probably, he'd, you, I, I, I sang in, in sequence with Satan, and now he's like, I proclaim eternal life through Jesus. That could be his testimony. Here he teaches Sunday school at his local church. It's pretty cool. I would go to Alice Cooper Sunday school class. I would. <laughs> What's your story? You're like, well, Alice Cooper shares it. No, your friend needs to hear your story about how Christ changed you. And you might be here today. I've never really been changed. Well, it can start today. It can, it can be complete today. He changed us from the inside out. The band's going to come and sing one more song, and I want to give you an opportunity to allow Christ to change you from the inside out. It starts by just claiming him, saying, I'm ready to be changed. My, my heart was messed up. I was dead in sin, and I need to be made new from the inside out. He does that by his saving grace and his blood that he shared on the cross. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series, and I really want to see your stories. It's the beginning of being able to tell your story orally, to, to have it on a cardboard like this. Maybe your story is, I was lost in sin, and now I'm saved. Maybe it was, I lived in fear, and now I have joy. But at the end of next service, uh, next Sunday, I, I'm going to ask, there's going to be a time where we can just come up without saying a word. You could just stand here for just a moment and say, hey, this is my story, and this is how Christ changed me, without saying a word, just by standing here. Some of you have seen that before, but it's a chance to do it again, to prepare us to tell our story to others, to proclaim it and to celebrate what he's done for us. Would you stand with me as I pray? If you have a story that needs change today, Jesus can do that. Father in heaven, today as we share, as we celebrate, we acknowledge that you change us from the inside out. Through your work on the cross is how we're saved. Change us and let us do good for your glory. Lord, if someone is here today that needs to make that, that step to accept your son, I pray they would move and, and claim that. In Jesus' name, amen.